Welcome to episode seven. A quick recap of last night, a preview of this weekend. It is a busy, busy stint for the London Knights. First three games in three nights. Two of them are at home, which is always helpful. My name is Mike Stubbs. Kyle Grimard is here, and we are set for more Knights hockey after the Knights stretch their winning streak to three in a row with a 3-2 overtime victory over the Niagara Ice Dogs on Thursday night. You can find Kyle on social at Kyle Grimard. That's G-R-I-M-A-R-D. You can find me at Stubbs980, Stubbs with two Bs. Kyle, it's never easy to go into Niagara because Niagara always has this added edge. The fans have an added edge. The players, even though most of these guys haven't even played against the London Knights, the last time these teams met was February 4th, 2020. So it's been a while. Pano Femis had never played against the London Knights. Connor Federkow for the Knights had never played in St. Catharines. He's 19 years old. That's just the way it goes. But it was a good homecoming for him. It was a good homecoming for Luca Testa. But Niagara always has that extra edge because in 2012, they thought they had the team. And really, they did. They had a team with 12 NHL draft picks. Then in 2016, they thought they had the team. They were on a roll. And then they met the Knights in the final both years. And the Knights won the OHL championship and advanced to the Memorial Cup. And they don't seem to forget that in St. Catharines. No, they really don't. And it's funny. It's one of those, you know, the London Knights are one of those teams where anytime they go into a visiting barn, very similarly to when teams come to London, especially on the Friday nights, Bud Gardens, 9,000 people. Anytime the Knights are in town, you know, there's a little extra umph because of the reputation of what London brings. You know, we've seen that uh, many times when teams come to Bud Gardens on the Fridays. There's just that there's that little extra teams play up knowing uh, we saw that when we talked about London going into Erie and Erie. This was like their fifth game of the season had T-shirts made specifically for the London game. So anytime that London comes up on the uh, on the calendar, you know that teams are bringing it a little extra, which sometimes is a really good thing for teams because they've always got to play to that caliber because teams always have that extra notch or two whenever they play each other. Makes it fun. Entertaining game last night, 3-2 in overtime. The Knights win it. Logan Mayu with the game-winning goal. Count on the Knights coaching staff to be able to sum up this game in about 10 seconds. Here's Dylan Hunter. Power play was good today. Uh, the penalty kill held together. Uh, we played a solid game. Uh, obviously, Maisie with a good break there in OT and uh, put it in. It is as simple as that. The coaching staff will boil it down. That is a victory. Power play was good. Penalty killing was solid. Overall, good game. Brett Brochu was very good. Owen Flores was good at the other end of the ice against his former team. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But this was a game that saw the Knights capitalize on power play chances twice. They scored inside the first 15 seconds of a power play. One took eight seconds. Sean McGurn set up by George Diaco, who kept making his way in behind the net. Nobody uses behind the net 
anymore. George Diaco in his last couple of games, he's been using the back of the net and he actually set it up brilliantly to Sean McGurn for the opening goal. Game stayed that way into the second period. McGurn had scored at 7.53 of the first. Panel Femis, beautiful stick handling effort in the slot, ends up scoring for Niagara to tie it. And then the Knights go to a power play and Logan Mayu hands off to Oliver Bonk. His shot gets tipped by McGurn 13 seconds into a power play. That made it 2-1. And then Niagara tied the game on this really weird follow the bouncing puck. The bouncing puck, it was bouncing all night to the point that our good buddy Captain Stinkpants made mention of that. What's wrong with the puck? It's going all over the place. Well, that's what happened, and Brendan Sirizotti finally corralled it, put it in the night net. That made it 2-2, and that sent it to overtime. And then in overtime, Kyle, it's that golden rule in hockey. There are a few of them. There aren't that many, but there are a few of them. Don't turn a puck over at your blue line or at the opposing blue line. Yeah, and, and especially when you get to overtime in three-on-three hockey. We we see it at the NHL level, the AHL level, all levels of hockey. Once that occurs, once you make a turnover, the other team often, more times than not, capitalizes on those mistakes. And that's exactly what happened on Logan Mayu's overtime winning goal, a breakaway. And again, as a defenseman, he normally don't get a ton of those, but Mayu has got a whole skill set of moves that he can use. And... You know, you brought this up earlier, Mike, but, you know, when you're going in, he went in against the goaltender who he played with last year for an extended period of time in Owen Flores. So there's even more that goes on in your head of what am I going to do? How am I going to beat him? Is he going to stop this? Does he know I'm going to do this? There's a lot that goes through the process of what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a nice play by Barks. He's, he's got that in his skill set for sure. So, and then coming down, I mean, obviously I've I've shot on floors uh, once or twice. So I think I kind of had the the upper hand coming down, and uh, I just picked my spot and it worked out. And see, that's exactly what he was talking about. And Kyle, okay, because you have a lot of goaltending experience, let me throw this one at you. You're playing against either a former team or a team that has some guys that you know on the other side. How extra as a goalie can you afford to be in getting ready for that game? I mean, it's it's tough because you you're automatically amped up even more going in against guys that you already know or, or teammates that were formers of yours. But it's it's tough. It's a weird thing because there's teammates that when you're in practice, for some reason, you've got their number, you know, their tendencies, you know how they shoot, you know where they shoot, you know, their moves, everything like that. And then the opposite happens where there's guys where it doesn't matter what you do or what they do, how you prepare. There's just guys that have your number. When I played junior, we had a defenseman. His name was Calvin Ripkema. He was a third. He was a third pairing guy. He's one of the best guys on the team. He was one of our leaders, but he was not known for his offensive presence. He was a physical guy. He was always in the corners that cleared out the net. He was one of my like best friends on the team, but I could not for the life of me, stop him in practice in shootouts. He had my number. He had this patience with him and he had it. He had me figured out. Meanwhile, the captain of our team couldn't buy a goal on me in practice. And it's, it's one of those weird situations where it just, as a goaltender and player, some guys have your number and you've got other guys. Well, we asked Logan, how many things were going through his head because sure you've got experience against the guy that you're now one-on-one with but is too much experience 
something that can cause a problem. I had about two or three options. I picked that one and I ended up working out, so it was good. And obviously, no problem whatsoever. Logan Mayu winds up scoring and the Knights win the game 3-2. That is their third victory. And Kyle, can I point this out? Am I, am I allowed to point this out? The Knights have picked up a point in five of their last six and they jumped over the Kitchener Rangers last night and they jumped over the Sioux Greyhounds in the standings last night. And now they get to go to work against North Bay and Sudbury. North Bay is coming off a tough loss in Windsor. And it was it was really interesting. Last night, the Knights pull in from St. Catharines to Budweiser Gardens at exactly the same time that the North Bay Battalion get back from Windsor. So if you're wondering which city is closer than... So if you're wondering which city is closer to London, St. Catharines or Windsor, according to hockey bus time, they're exactly the same distance apart. Jeez. Yeah. And I feel like people don't account for travel in the OHL as they would for maybe professional leagues, but it's almost more difficult, Mike, because in the professional levels, all the guys, they get on planes, they, they fly around, they're there within a couple hours. The bus rides, I remember we did a bus ride from Burlington to Temiskaming, Quebec. It was a six and a half, seven hour bus ride. You were sore, you were cramped, you were tired. And then you've got to go re- get ready to go play a hockey game. So the traveling in the Ontario Hockey League, you know, I don't think gets as much, um, you know, no, uh, like it's not talked about enough because it can be grueling, even though these are 16, 17, 18 year old kids, you know, travel does play a part in this league. Definitely. Don't let the Western Hockey League guys hear you say that because they'll tell you some stories. But no, it is a factor. And both of these teams got back and it was just after midnight when they arrived in London. So the race was then on who could get their equipment unloaded in the dressing room and get into either a hotel bed or their own bed faster. So I'm imagining everybody was in their beds just before 1 a.m., but it still makes a little bit of a difference as to how you feel the next day. Now, Joe Carter, very famous Toronto Blue Jay, very famous major leaguer, always said if he was going to play a big game or a game of any kind, he always wanted to be just a little bit tired because he felt it made him sharper because he had to concentrate just a little bit more. But then there's that threshold kind of you crash over the wave because you can be a little bit tired one day. If you try and be a little bit tired the same way the next day, you're going to be really tired. So the Knights will have to be battling that as they take on the Sudbury Wolves on Saturday night. But they face the North Bay Battalion and the North Bay Battalion have been built by a former London Knight who was a building block on the team of the century, Adam Dennis, the general manager of the North Bay Battalion. And we had a chance to talk with Adam as he made his way to Windsor and then London to take in the games that his team was playing this weekend. And we talked about just the life of a GM and maybe something that he didn't expect before he took over the reins in North Bay? Yeah, well, first and foremost, COVID. <laughs> I think I, I took over December of 2019. Our season, as you probably remember, got canceled in March of 2020. So about three months in uh, to having the job, uh, the, 
global pandemic struck. So that was, that was first and foremost, a tough one. Um, but you, you know, like uh, the job on the whole, I, I think really it's, it's the, the different directions you, you can go. You can go into the office on a Monday thinking you're going to have a nice quiet day. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, it, it, there are three different things pop up and you just got to be ready. And I think having such a great support network and great staff, it really makes a huge difference in, in that aspect. When you look around at, you know, how quickly you want things to happen as a player, things can happen so fast. As a GM, how much of a long game does it become and, and how much of an adjustment is that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some some finesse that's that's required, especially when it comes to, you know, making a trade. And, and you know, sometimes your needs just aren't, aren't what other teams' needs are. And um, sometimes players' expectations are different than, than that of the coach or the management. So um, it, it is what it is. We understand that the, the minds of the player. I think that's been a big benefit to, to our staff is that we're, none of us are too far out of playing ourselves so we understand what it's like and, and where your mind goes as a player so we, we try to be sympathetic to that and uh, make sure that we can uh, you know at least put their their worries to, to to bed as quickly as possible so the communication's really ongoing and um yeah it, it, it's uh it, it, for sure there's challenges uh day to day you're a guy who's been through the entire process you know what it's like as a player to be traded how helpful is that when you are trying to use that communication that you're talking about? I, I think it's really helpful. The one thing that our players don't have that, you know, we, we all have on the staff is experience. And, um, you know, when, when you're able to go through a trade, and I really believe that most trades in the OHL, I, I, not all, but most, um, they do benefit benefit both sides you know with, with the development league typically some teams um are in years that they, they think that they can you know go deep in the playoffs other teams are really looking to play some young guys um so you know a lot of trades work out that a player's getting more ice or going to a team that's um you know going for it in one of his last years so um they really do uh, can be a positive for both sides but um really if you if you want to be a hockey player it's it's part of the business um, I, I know it's a little bit different in junior hockey as players have, um, you know, uh, there's restrictions and things like that and there's school involved. So there's a little bit of different, but, you know, if you want to be a, a professional hockey player at some point, um, you're going to have to deal with those, those things. And it's, it's a lot easier now than it, than it is when you have a full family to move. The Knights in North Bay are going to meet for the first time since before the pandemic. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Adam, when you were traded to the Knights, take us back to that. What was that moment like? Because you'd won an OHL championship with the Guelph Storm the year before. You'd been in a series that went seven games against a Knights team. And then all of a sudden, those guys are your teammates. What was that whole experience like for you? Yeah, it was... Uh, I remember the whole trade deadline experience. I kind of knew it was coming. Um, it wasn't like I was, you know, demanding a trade out of Guelph, and it wasn't like Guelph was really to, looking to push me out, out the door either. Um, but, you know, the, Guelph was in a bit of a rebuild. They had a very good goalie, Danny Taylor, um, as well, who was looking to take the next step in his career. Um, and, and, you know, I, so for me, I, I was 19. I, I wanted to, you know, have another crack at, at, at an OHL championship Memorial Cup. And uh, I, I was open, open to being moved. So the, the more things, the more, more time got closer to the deadline, I was in touch with my agent. And, um, you know, there's a couple teams interested. I think the two 
that, that were really the closest was Kingston and London had some outside interest, but, um, you know, coming down uh, to, to the trade deadline day, uh, I, I, I kind of thought that I was going to be going to Kingston. Now they, they, they were about seventh or eighth place at the time, but uh, if you're, you know, London was obviously hosting the Royal cup. So, um, a lot of the teams in the Eastern conference just said, thinking that if we can make the finals you know we can get into the Memorial Cup and then who knows um, so Kingston was was a team that I I, I really thought I was going to um, I did keep kind of pushing my agent hey you know like what about London what about London like they're hosting the Memorial Cup uh, I know how good they are like what, what, what a team that'd be to play for so uh, eventually you know trade deadline day came uh, probably everybody you know it's funny those days when you're waiting on a call everybody else seems to call and um, you know I was a teenager it didn't didn't have the you know caller ID at the time as it wasn't as as, uh, as, as prevalent as it is now so every call you're expecting it to be from agent GM um, one or the other finally about two hours before the deadline Dave Barr called me in and uh, uh, he just said to come down to the office and, and really he was on the phone when I walked in he just handed it to me and it was uh, Mark Hunter on the other line so uh, I remember the day very well it was, it was pretty big uh, um, you know uh, relief to, to know that I was going to a team that was hosting the Memorial Cup and um, you know, then, then then the other challenges, you know, because we had obviously had some heated series. So um, then then was it, you know, the, the awkwardness of, of meeting the new team for the, the, the first uh, time after having some heated words and exchanges throughout the last year uh, prior. But, um, you know, just was really happy to, to go to such a good team and program. You would have guys who didn't mind getting into the crease, didn't mind making life tough on goalies, <laughs> guys like Corey Perry, and then all of a sudden – you like you say you you've got to be their teammate. Did you guys laugh about that pretty quickly? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, Brandon Prost would have accidentally fallen on me in pairs as well. I, I don't know how many times in a, over the course of a seven game series. Um, but you know, I think that that uh, on both sides there was mutual respect. Um, I was lucky. I had Dan Girardi who got traded the week before I did, so he was able to kind of go in and break the ice. Say, hey, he's not such a bad guy. But <laughs> um, no, it's. Uh, it's, it's funny how, how things work out, and, uh, you know, I'd say that mutual respect and, you know, desire to want to wanna win a championship really made things a lot easier. When you got there and when you played in your first couple of games, you knew what it was like to play on a championship team. Did you have a feeling that, yeah, the, these guys have something here? Absolutely. I mean, they, they went how many games unbeaten in the first half of the year. Um, you know, coming in there, especially as a goalie on that team, and I think a lot of the goalies, you know, that I've seen go through there could probably say the same. You do feel the pressure that you don't want to be the one to screw it up for this great team. Um, so really, it was just, you know, kind of making sure you do your job, not not trying to steal games. You didn't have to on that team. It was just making sure that, you know, you were making good passes, you were controlling your rebounds, you weren't creating anything that, um, you know, uh, created chaos for, for a group that, you know, if, if things were going okay, then they should could and did beat any team um, in Canada that year. You and Gerald Coleman were the goaltenders at that point, and you make your way through. You win an OHL championship, first championship in London ever, and then you head to the Memorial Cup, and Sidney Crosby and the Ramuski Oceanic come to town, and they had their own story. They had their own unbeaten streak, and... Sidney Crosby was Sidney Crosby. What was it like going into that very first game that's still regarded as one of the best games, if not maybe the best game that has ever been played 
in London, that 4-3 overtime win. What do you remember talking about when it comes to Sidney Crosby and Ramuski? Well, I mean, it's such a buildup, right? Like, it was the lockout year, you know. Obviously, we in London knew that we were hosting the Memorial Cup the whole year. So, it was definitely nice going in as, as a championship. That was the first goal, was walking in through the front door. So, winning the OHL certainly took a lot of the pressure off. But, um, you know, the whole hockey world was watching at that time. And there was no secret. We knew it. Um, and we were, we, we were ready and excited for it, uh, having said that. But, you know... Uh, for everyone, it would have been, you know, the biggest moment. I, I shouldn't say that. Some of the guys were at the World Juniors that would have, uh, you know, had some big moments as well. But for a lot of us, uh, you know, playing in front of 9,000 at the, the the JLC, I'll call it, because that's what it was then. And, you know, the people that were watching outside, there, there was certainly a lot of pressure. And then to get out to an 3 start, um, I, I, I look back, I'm just grateful they let me stay in the game and, and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> now, that opening face-off. That opening faceoff had Sidney Crosby on the ice. They basically had that unit of five players that if something was going to happen offensively, it was when that five-man unit was on. Was there talk that, well, hey, you know what? He's still a hockey player, still puts on his skates one at a time, and then I heard the story that the puck drops and someone gets the puck over to Crosby. He toe-drags a defenseman, fires a pass across the ice, and next thing you know, in behind you, there's this, there's this big ding off the bar. I think they hit a post or a crossbar about three seconds into the game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't even tell you that I remember any of that, to be honest with you. It's just <laughs> such a uh, – um, <laughs> I, 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 the first period for me would have been a huge blur. Like, I, I remember, you know, uh, finally setting it, settling in and, and getting a few touches. And uh, once I realized that I was going to get the chance to stay in the game, um, you know, feeling, you know, really obligated to, to help the team have a chance to come back into it. And um, I, I, I remember, you know, <laughs> just seeing the, the whole play with Mark Mathot kind of material and um, it was just too perfect that he didn't score it and, and you know knowing Mark and the confident guy that he is I, I, we were all I, I was feeling good at least from the other end watching him go down and, and have a two-on-one game-winning goal Knights fans will always say they played such a role in that because everybody was yelling two two at Corey Perry going down the right <laughs> wing and Mark's trailing and next thing you know he gets the puck and he scores the overtime winner and then you wind up advancing all the way through to the final. Adam, can you take us to that night before? And I know we've talked about this before, but the night before the Memorial Cup, because you're somebody who's very competitive. There were two very good goaltenders on that night's team, you and Gerald Coleman. What happened that that made Dale Hunter say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put number 28 in the net tomorrow? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had been, you know, struggling with, with a bit of an injury um, probably since the Ottawa series. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that there was probably some questions in the coaching staff as to how I was feeling. I also know that the matchup was going to be big on who was going to start, too. So, um, you know, Ramuski was a quicker team. You know, maybe there was a feeling that I, I, I might have had a better chance against them. And, and, you know, Colsey had played some great hockey against Ottawa. So if they were in, you know, maybe we're talking about something different. But I, I really just, you know, I, I, I remember it as being 
really anxious to want to get the net. Um, I had been to the Memorial Cup the year before with the Guelph team, and, um, you know, we, we played some good hockey. We came up 0-3. Uh, we lost our, our, our first three games, and, and we were out at that point. So I really wanted the opportunity to, to, you know, be in the net. I felt like I was ready for the moment, and um, I felt like if, if, you know, if I was going to get that chance and I needed to make it clear to the coaching staff. So I just remember, you know, waiting outside and, and it probably wasn't as stoic as it sounds. It was probably a nervous teenager at the time doing it. But um, I, I just, you know, I remember going to Dale and, and said that, you know, I, I'm ready for the challenge and I want I wanted that more or less. And um yeah, th- thankful that they gave me the opportunity. I really feel like either one of us could have got the job done, but um, it, it was something that I just really uh, felt I, I wanted and needed to, to uh, complete. Is that something you like to see in your players now, the ability to say, you know, here's here's what I want, I can do this? I mean, it, I think it's it's going to sound really like duh um but for me like the, the two of the biggest things that i look for in a player is, is that competitiveness and, and you know coachability I, I i think um you know when uh, i always attribute it to, to outside of hockey like how are you when you lose at, at monopoly i i'm miserable <laughs> I, I i like my hockey players like that too um you know it's that burning desire to compete and win and you know, at the end of the day, you gotta listen to your coaches. Um, that, that's always important as well. But when you have those two attributes, I think that you can do so much as a hockey player. And, and at our level, it's about growth. And um, those are the two things that we ask for our players. And the coaches can insert a lot uh, when you have that. Now, before we leave that story, I'll ask you just one final time: Were you walking by Dale Hunter's door? Or were you waiting outside for him to come out of his coach's office? Were you trying to get noticed walking by his doorway? I mean, you could probably define it a number of ways. Maybe strategically walking by several times. Others would say maybe pacing. And, you know, um, if you're really eagle-eyeing it, uh, you know, a lot of nervousness. Um, we're just waiting outside for them to come out. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't really remember. I, I definitely would have been uh, making sure that, that he wasn't leaving without seeing me, though. Winning a championship sometimes can be a relief. Sometimes it can be just an out-and-out celebration. What do you remember it being like when you won the Memorial Cup? Oh, I, I think that, that for sure was, a, was an out-and-out celebration. Um, no question. I mean, uh, I, I would say for, I can't speak for the whole team, I felt like winning the OHL was, was kind of a relief at that point because like we said we knew that we were hosting the memorial cup i think it's always the the host's biggest fear is that you know you want to go in the front door you want to win the championship and represent um your league as the champion not just the host and um with the team that we had i, I really do feel like that was a, a a sigh of relief when we won the ohl but um when, when you're playing in the memorial cup like that's the best that's a champion from every league plus uh, a host or, or you know in that case Ottawa that, that we knew was a very good team as well um, so so much goes into it you got to be so lucky to get to that moment and um, to win it uh, it, it was very very uh, gratifying well Adam before we let you go let's talk North Bay Matvey Petrov is a guy who gets mentioned an awful lot he's off to a great start uh, he's got you know, points that are piling up and he's a plus player. What does he do that makes him so successful? 
Oh, well, first of all, he's he's an amazing person. Like from the time that Mad Bay came into North Bay, he's always had a smile on his face. He's uh, a breath of fresh air when he walks in the room. He's just a guy that really enjoys the game. You know, you can hear, you'll know when he scores if you come and watch a practice. He's he's very excitable, um, and he he just has a real passion for the game. So I think when you have that, um, you're a lot of fun to be around, a lot of fun to play with. Uh, he's very creative with the puck. Um, you know, he's got, I think one of the, the best, he, I think he's one of the best shooters in the OHL and not, I wouldn't say it's the hardest shot. I wouldn't say it's, it's, you know, the release, but he, he could do it in so many different ways. Like he, the way that, that, that I've seen him take different kind of shots, um, has been just really impressive. Uh, he's also an elite passer. So, um, there's been times where he's made passes and, and, and you know, just, nobody expects it because he does have that shot as well. So it, it's tough as a goalie and a defenseman because you want to respect it, but, um, he does have vision to help his teammates out. And I think that's, that's with, you know, last year, how many uh, guys that we had scored 30, 40 goals. Ty Nelson. Let's talk about him because he's taken first overall. And as much as any player would love to be taken first overall, it always comes with that extra little bit of microscope where it's, oh, well, how's the guy who went first overall doing? When you look at his development that had to go through COVID and that sort of thing, what are you seeing from him? I, I mean, I, I can't say enough about Ty. Uh, I really believe that not only was he the right pick at first overall, he was the perfect um, pick at first overall for us. Um, you think about all the things that he's missed. You know, he lost his OHL Cup with the Junior Canadians, who's a top-ranked team. Didn't get to go to the U17, didn't get to go to the U18. Uh, gets picked first overall. He's got to do it on Zoom. Um, he's never stopped smiling. He's never stopped, you know, like uh, having that burning desire to, to not just be a hockey player, but to do it as a battalion. Um, he's He's got an infectious personality and, and you know, um, another guy that's just, he, he's a treat to be around. Um, he works his buns off. Like, he, he really... Um, we, 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 when we took over, we did a lot to kind of enhance uh, some of the off-ice, some of the, the conditioning traits that we, we do uh, in our program. And um, Ty still is always finding ways to take it to another level and get a little bit extra in. And it's really rubbed off on some of the guys that are younger than him. They, they see him as a leader and they follow him. And um, when he's going up to the gym for an extra workout, it's, it's pretty re- uh, regular that he's going to have a couple followers behind him now. Okay, one more guy, and then we'll let you go. And that's Kyle Jackson, who didn't get drafted in his draft year. He's a late birthday, but he did get drafted this past summer. He goes to Seattle, and he comes back as a 20-year-old, as an overager in this league, and he's leading your team in scoring and just off to this incredible start. What is it about him that you think – gives him that shot at maybe playing beyond the OHL. Yeah, well I, I think he's 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 been a bit underrated because we've had some guys on on his wings the last couple of years that have really had a lot of offensive success. But um, you know, I, I think that our team has really benefited from having a really good number one line the last two years. And Kyle Jackson's been the the constant on that. He's been the center, uh, which is a very important position as we all know. And 
Uh, I, I, he's always been the guy that for me just, just kind of stirs the drink on that top line. He's a big, strong kid, so he's tough to defend. Um, he's not afraid to go to the dirty areas, but also he can shoot the puck and his vision to find teammates and, and to find them with speed and, and in opportune areas to, to create scoring chances for themselves is, is very impressive. And he's a guy that, you know, he was probably should have been drafted if there is, uh, if our, our, that season didn't get canceled, which was his draft year, but um, he certainly made amends last year. He had a, a tough injury uh, in the middle of the season, but he battled back and, um, you know, he, he, I think he's, he's one of the best players in the OHL. And, um, you know, when, when he gets going, when that line gets going, they're, they're really tough to stop. Well, Adam, it's been great talking with you about Knights, about the battalion. Best of luck with everything. And we will see what happens as the Knights and the battalion finally get a chance to get together on the ice. Thanks so much, Stubbsy. We're all looking forward to it. Adam Dennis. So now we have... The story that I always think needs a Hollywood script, and it sounds like it, it still did, but Adam and Dale Hunter tell this story very similarly, the one where he's trying to let Dale know that he wants to be the guy to play in the Memorial Cup final. So he's remembering, he's kind of standing, pacing, he's around. Dale remembers, he kind of notices Adam, and they have the conversation. When they make the movie, it will be Adam Dennis walks by the door, Dale looks up, catches a glimpse of somebody, doesn't know who it is. Adam walks back. Dale sees it's Adam, says, Denny, are you okay? Adam will poke his head around the door and say, Coach, if you put me in the net tomorrow, we'll win the Memorial Cup. And then he'll leave, and Dale Hunter will write down 28 Adam Dennis on his lineup card. That's the way it'll be in the movie. So it it doesn't sound like it was quite (laughs) that succinct, quite that Hollywood but definitely good enough. One of the great stories in Knights history. It's fantastic. And, and, and that's the thing you really get the insight into not only one of the great players during that time, but one of the great teams during that time with the team of the century. And just, you love hearing all of those different anecdotes and different stories and little, little pieces here and there that you, you'd never guess or never really get a chance to hear from unless it's coming from the guy that was a part of the story or is there to be able to tell it afterwards. That's it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, we thank Adam Dennis for being here. You can find Night Shift wherever you get your podcast. If you want to leave us a review, leave us a review. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that too. You can yep. find Kyle at Kyle Grimard. You can find me at Stubbs980. Shoot me an email, Mike at 980cfpl.ca. If you have any questions or any requests, if you have a night that you're wondering, oh, where's this guy? Whatever happened to him? Well, we'll do our best not to just find that information for you. We'll find him and we'll bring him <laughs> on night shift. The Knights take on the North Bay Battalion. Check out the family pack. You get four tickets, four pops, four slices of pizza for $99.99. Great outing for the family as the Knights hit the ice twice this weekend against North Bay tonight against Sudbury at seven o'clock. Kyle, have a great weekend. See you at the games and we will recap all of this on Monday. Yep. Sounds good. It should be a fun weekend and enjoy and stay safe. If you're going out for any festivities for Halloween, uh, enjoy. And like we said, we will see you Monday. It should be warmish. So make (laughs) sure that you have extra candy. That means the kids are coming back for seconds and thirds. Just be ready for that on Monday. We'll talk to you then.